Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the book of Hebrews, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was explaining how there were promises given under the Old Covenant, and there are promises that are now given under the New Covenant. And that these are two different promises, they're two different blessings, they're two different things that the Lord our God was offering to us. The promises and the blessings concerning the Old Covenant or that were offered through the Old Covenant, the First Covenant, had to do with the blessings and the promises of the flesh. What he was offering were things that had to do with the flesh, that you would have plenty of flour in your kneading bowl, that you would lend and not borrow, your children would not be consumed by wild animals, things like that, which I can certainly appreciate. I don't want to encourage anybody to experience any pain and suffering in their life. But the fact of the matter is that because no one could live in obedience to all of the commandments, there was no way that they could ever receive any of the promises in the Old Covenant, with the exception of one. And that was the promise concerning the Messiah. That is the one promise that the Lord has finally enacted. He has enacted that for the entire world through the giving of the Lord Jesus and his offering, his sacrifice of himself on the cross for the sins of the world. That promise has been fulfilled. And for those who will embrace him for who he is, they can enter into the new covenant. And when we enter into the new covenant, we can now experience the true promises, the true blessings that he is offering to us. And these promises and blessings are about knowing our God which we could have never experienced under the Old Covenant. Now, in this program, I'm going to address the verses in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 through 12, which is a quote from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. I'm going to address these verses right now, because this is truly the description of what the New Covenant is, or at least the foundation of it. And I think contained in here, we can see an awful lot about what we have in light of what Christ Jesus has done, in comparison with what we could have had under the Old Covenant, which was nothing more than opportunities to indulge our flesh. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8, it is written, For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, to say that he's going to invoke a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah should tell you something about this covenant. And that is that this covenant has been offered to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. It has been offered to the Hebrews. The Hebrews were given this new covenant. It was first given to them. And then, after it was given to them, it was also offered to everyone. It was offered to the entire world. Now, unfortunately, what many people believed in the early church and what some people have believed since then, which I do not believe, what many people do embrace or have embraced is that in order to enter into this new covenant, 
you have to become a Jew, or you have to become an Israelite, or you have to become a Hebrew. Unfortunately, the early church believed that in the early days, in the early development of the church. They did believe that there was no way that you could be saved unless you became a Jew first. And I have done an extensive verse-by-verse study on this in the book of Acts. I've done a study on the book of Acts where I explain this in detail as to why the early church believed that and the evidences that we can see in the scriptures that show us that the early church believed that. Up until Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, the early church discovered that a person could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew, that a Gentile could actually be saved. They discovered this in Acts chapter 10, and then it was reported and appreciated by the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. But then there was a question concerning how should the Gentiles live in light of that, and in Acts chapter 15, the early church debated over this issue, where they were debating whether or not the Gentiles should have to live in obedience to the law of Moses. That was something that they discussed. I certainly do not agree with their conclusion, as was described in Acts chapter 15. I personally agree with the Apostle Paul concerning this matter and the way that he addressed this subject in Galatians chapter 2. I would like to encourage you to look into the studies that I have done concerning this and the verse-by-verse study I did on the book of Acts. But aside from that, it's important to understand and recognize that the Lord has made a provision. He has made it possible for everyone to be saved, whether they are a Jew or a Gentile. And that salvation has to do with becoming a new creation, a new person in Christ Jesus. Now, he used Israel. He used the Jews in order to institute the new covenant. And technically, those who have embraced the true Messiah are technically the true Israel of God, and that those who embrace the Lord Jesus then get grafted in to the true vine, that is, the people who have embraced the Lord Jesus for who he is. He is the true vine. We are the true branches, that we have been grafted into the fullness of this if we believe that he is the Messiah. And for those of us who are Jews, we are grafted in. For those of us who are Gentiles, they are grafted in as well. When we believe in the real Messiah, when that takes place, then we are saved and we are of the true Israel of God. So I believe that when he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, he has offered, he offered the new covenant to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah But they did not all embrace it. Those who did embrace it are considered to be the Israel of God. And those who did not embrace it are still technically, according to a fleshly perspective, they are still the Israel of God as well. But according to the old covenant and not according to the new. We have been grafted into the true Israel of God according to the new covenant. And so I'll continue into verse 9. In verse 9, this is Hebrews chapter 8, Verse 9, it is written, Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Now this is important to see, that the new covenant is not like the old. That's what he said. And so if what you believe is the new covenant looks anything like the old, it's not the new. It's not. It's not it. Regardless of what it is, if it's the same, if it's similar in any way whatsoever, it's not it. It's just simply not the same. And so 
How would we know? What are the differences? How can we define that? Well, we'll just have to continue to read. As I continue to read, I'll continue in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, where it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. Well, now, let's pause for just a moment here. When he says that he's going to put his laws, or technically it's law, the quotation is from Jeremiah chapter 31, where the word is singular, not plural. I personally believe that that is an error in the translation here in the book of Hebrews, whereas it was first written in Hebrew, and then it was translated into Greek, and I believe when it was translated into Greek, they accidentally made it plural instead of singular. That's what I believe concerning this. But regardless of that, whether it's law or laws, that's not the issue. The issue is what's going to go into your mind and what's going to get into your heart. Now, when he says that he's going to put his laws or his law into our mind and he's going to write it on our hearts, does that mean he's going to get out the heavenly tattoo machine and he's going to start etching something on your heart or etching something in your brain? I mean, if we were to do surgery on you, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, or if we were to do surgery on you and open your chest and look into your chest, we would see the Ten Commandments written there in Hebrew, of course. Is that what you believe? Do you believe that somehow he's going to go in and he's going to put a tattoo on you in some way in your brain or on your heart, or maybe he's going to chisel some of your flesh out of you and that we would be able to identify that with maybe an ultrasound or something like that? Is, Is that what you believe? You know what? I have found that a lot of people kind of believe that. I mean, if I put it that way, they would say it's absurd. But for the most part, people are saying that. Now, they're saying it in different ways. I understand that. But the inherent belief is that somehow it's it's there. People will say things, well, well, now I have a desire to live in obedience to his commandments. Well, you know, you may be able to impress a Gentile with something like that. But you're certainly not going to impress a Jew And not this one, that's for sure. I mean, I remember the days when I was lost. I was so lost I needed a search party. And I did not know the living God for who he was. I did not know the Lord Jesus. I did not know that there even was a new covenant. And I certainly had a great desire in my heart to live in obedience to the commandments, to live in obedience to his law, to all of his laws. I remember what that was like during a certain phase in my life experience, and I know many others who would testify the same thing. And so to say that you now have some kind of a desire, some kind of an interest to live in obedience to his laws, to his commandments, that tells me that you have finally arrived. You have finally achieved the point in your life where you can be a good Jew, and that certainly you still have no need for a Messiah because now you have a desire to live in obedience to his commandments. That's what I think. That's what I hear. I mean, you want to go tell a Gentile that, somebody who has no background in the Mosaic law at all, they may hear you say that and say, Ooh, wow, you're holy, you're righteous, you you have a relationship with God. They may say that, but I'm certainly not going to be the person who's going to be impressed by that. And so just appreciate that and spend your time with other people besides myself. And you can feel as complete as perhaps you would like to feel. You can feel as though you've really accomplished something by saying something like that, but I certainly am not going to be impressed at all. I don't believe that's what he's saying. I don't believe that the emphasis has to do with how is he going to get you to be more inspired, 
more encouraged, more desiring to be obedient or repentant. I don't think it has anything to do with that at all. And I don't think that there's going to be some kind of physical change in your brain or some physical change in your heart to the extent where you're going to have an interest now. I believe that this has to do with your heart, with your mind. It has to do with your spirit. It is a spiritual transformation that takes place. Something happens to your mind. Something happens to your heart. That there is a change in your heart. There is a change in your mind. And this is something that I can relate to. This is something that I have an understanding of. Because I know what it was like not to have a changed heart. And I know what it is like to have a changed heart. That the focus here is not on the laws. The focus here is not on his commandments. The focus is on your heart. That you will have a new heart. That you will have a new mind. And this is something that I know. I know that he has changed my heart. He has changed my mind. But he hasn't done so through some invocation of some kind that he has done. He has done so because I know who he is. That is how it has happened within me. It is through knowing your God that he will fulfill your heart. He will fulfill your mind. He will give you his love. He will give you his acceptance. And that deals with the issues of your heart. He will give you his understanding. He will give you his purpose. And that deals with the issues of your mind. He will complete you through the giving of himself to you. And through his relating to you. Through his relating to you his understanding, his purpose, his love, his acceptance. It is through that that he fulfills the emptiness that is deep within you. And through fulfilling who you are, through filling you with himself, you will be changed. Your heart will be changed. Your mind will be changed. And he will fulfill what he has promised concerning the new covenant. Again in verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I believe he is saying that he will change their minds. He will change their hearts. And he follows it up by saying, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, what could he possibly be talking about? I mean, according to the Old Covenant, he established himself as their God, and he established them as his people. Well, in a certain sense, they were his people, and in a certain sense, he was their God, but not in this way. In this way, it is totally different. You see, in the Old Covenant, in the First Covenant, he was their God in the sense that he gave them the commandments. And they were his people in the sense that they tried to live in obedience to the commandments. But they never could. They never would. And his relationship to them as their God was nothing more than his perpetual condemnation of them for their failure. What kind of a relationship is that? Whereas you've got a group of people who are trying to live in a way that they can't. And you've got a God who can do nothing more than condemn them for their failures. That's the old covenant. That's the first covenant. That's what their relationship was about. And that's why it wasn't so good. That's why it was necessary for a new covenant to be invoked. But understand that on that basis, we cannot say that that is a true relationship with their God. I mean, what kind of relationship is that? 
There is no real relationship there. And one thing's for certain, there is no way for them to know him. There is no way for them to know him outside of his condemnation. They cannot know him for his love, for his acceptance. They cannot see the world through his eyes. They cannot hear the world around them through his ears. They cannot see the way things are from his perspective. They cannot know how he feels. They cannot know what he thinks. They cannot understand what he is doing. And they cannot see his purpose in terms of what he is accomplishing here on earth and what he is going to accomplish in the future in heaven. There is no way for them to actually know their God, and that's the issue. In the Old Covenant, there was no way that you could know your God. But in the New Covenant, through his fulfilling your heart and mind, through transforming you from the inside, you can actually have an opportunity to know who he is. And that's why he says what he says in verse 11. In verse 11, this is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. We will all know him. You see, in the Old Covenant, people could talk about, Know the Lord, know the Lord. And they could teach people about what he had said in the past and what he had done in the past. But there was no way for them to actually know him as a person. They could know about him. They could know about the things that he was involved in. They could know about the things that he said. They could know about how he intervened. But there's a difference between knowing the actions of an individual and knowing the individual himself. And there was no way that they could possibly know the individual, the person of their God in the Old Covenant. But now, because of what he has done, everyone can know who he is. From the least of them to the greatest, from those who are immature to those who are mature. Now, let me describe it this way. And and that is to say that, yes, there are some people who may know the Lord in a deeper, more personal way than others. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well you know the Lord. All that matters is that you do in the way that he has revealed himself to you. It doesn't matter if I may know him more than you do. And it doesn't matter if you may know him more than I do. You know what? I may know him in a different way than you know him. I may know him in a way that you perhaps will never know him, but you know him in a way that I perhaps will never know him either. He is so great. He is so abundant that he can reveal himself to all of his people in a personal, unique way so that we have no place comparing each other with each other. There is no purpose in that. There is no value in that. You have a personal interactive relationship with your God. And so whatever he reveals to you about himself is what he reveals to you about himself. And whatever he reveals to me concerning himself is what he reveals to me concerning himself. Now, I teach about him all the time. I do. I teach about him all the time in various ways. And so I do teach people know the Lord, but I don't I don't teach people who he is. I mean, I teach what I can, but I have a limitation. I mean, I can tell you lots of things about him, but unless he confirms in your heart that what I am saying is true, unless he shares that with you personally, it's just not the same. If you depend on me, you're going to get nothing more than intellectual enlightenment. And that's useless. 
If he does not testify in the inner part of your being, if he does not testify to your spirit that what I say or anybody else may say for that matter is true, then you have only heard it from me. You have not heard it from your God. You have only been taught by me, and you have not yet been taught by your God. And if you're going to just be taught by me, I'm afraid that's going to go nowhere, because you must be taught by your God. I may teach, that is true. I may teach about who he is, but he uses that to reveal himself to others. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't confirm it and testify of it within your heart, within your spirit, then it isn't going to be real. It simply will not be real. And so the only involvement that I truly have, that I truly have, is to direct you to him. That's my role in many people's lives. It is simply to tell people to go to their God, to know who he is as he reveals himself to you in whatever way he does it, in a small way, in a big way, in great magnitude, in little magnitude. It doesn't matter. Those things will never matter. The only thing that will matter is that you know him in the way that he wants you to. That's all that matters. And if he wants you to know him in a big way, he will reveal himself in a big way. And if he wants you to know him in a little way, he will reveal himself in a little way. But but don't make comparisons concerning this. You don't do that. You trust your God. You believe in your God. You trust, you trust him that he is God and that I certainly am not and neither are you. And if he is God and if he has promised that he will complete the work that he has begun, that he began. If you believe that he can do it, that he can grow you and mature you as he sees fit, then instead of concerning yourself with how much you know him or how much you don't know him, concern yourself with being thankful with what you do know concerning him. Be thankful for what he has revealed and be thankful for what he hasn't revealed to you yet. Be thankful for how you do not know him in conjunction with being thankful for how you do know him and trust that he will be faithful and true to revealing himself in a way that you can handle, that you can appreciate, that you need, that you need right now in your life right now, just as he reveals himself to me in a way that I need in my life right now. And I can live in thankfulness in that way. And I believe that you can live in thankfulness in that way as well. And so when he says in verse 11, And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. I believe we should embrace the reality that however we know him, we need to be thankful and trust and believe that he will fulfill what he has promised. In verse 12, he explains how he will be able to accomplish this and why. In verse 12, he says, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is why it's possible. It's possible for you to know your God, and it's possible for him to change you from the inside because he no longer remembers your sins, because he no longer holds your sins against you. This is how it works. Start from the bottom and work your way up. From verse 12, he remembers your sins no more. 
And so because he remembers your sins no more, go back up to verse 11. Because of that, he can now teach you. He can now guide you. And you can now know who he is. If your sins are still held against you, you cannot know your God, as was described in verse 11. Then go back up into verse 10, where he says that he will change your heart. He will change your mind. He cannot do that unless you know who he is. It's only when you know who he is that he can change your heart and change your mind. And so this is critical to see. This is important to see. And that is that if you do not recognize that he does not hold your sins against you, then there's no way for you to know your God. And there is no way for your mind to be transformed. And there's no way for your heart to be transformed. There's no way for you to personally be changed. And so there's no way for you to truly know and embrace the new covenant for what it is. And there is also no way for you to be a member of the true Israel of God that he now has as his people. There is no way for you to be one of his people, and there is no way for him to be your God. You must embrace the complete forgiveness of sins. You must embrace the truth that he does not hold your sins against you. Otherwise, you cannot enter into the new covenant. That is how he invoked the new covenant. He invoked the new covenant through his death and through his resurrection. The new covenant went into effect after he died and after he rose from the dead through the forgiveness of sins. And your sins have been forgiven to the extent where they will never be held against you ever again. So this is the conclusion. If you believe that your sins are still being held against you, you have not entered into the new covenant, you do not know your God, and you have no hope of having a true, real relationship with him, you might as well go back to the copy. You might as well go back to the temple in Jerusalem. Embrace the truth. Believe your God and trust that what he has done is what you need so that you can know who he is. Because if you don't, you won't know who he is, ever. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net